Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and I'm your host for Bookend, brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is M. Randall O'Wain. He is a lecturer of creative writing at the University of North Carolina and serves as a National Endowment of the Arts Writing Fellow at Beckley Federal Correctional Institution in Beckley, West Virginia. He's the author of the short story collection Hallelujah Station, and his most recent book is Meander Belt, Family, Loss, and Coming of Age in the Working Class South, which is published by our friends at the University of Nebraska Press. Randall, welcome to the program. Hey, glad to be here. Yeah. Randall, in the chapter titled Arrow of Light, your father drives you to his and your friend Jimmy's house where something tragic has occurred. Um, can you tell our listeners what has happened and what it was like to experience this as a young boy? Yeah. So I was in Weebelows. Um My mom, actually, this is like a story that's not, it's like, a, it's like an outtake, mm-hmm. you know? My mom was actually the den leader for our Cub mm-hmm. Scouts. Um, and... Uh, was going to then be, I think, maintain and, and become the Weeblos member, but the scoutmaster found a, a man to take over both. Um, so she so she stopped. We were in, they were in kind of financial straits, and so she got a job waiting tables. Um, so then they were kind of like always were dropping us off and picking us up. It's a pretty normal story for most kids, I think. Um, so I was at the church. Weeblos meeting is over, um, and my father pulls up. Um, and he's frantic, um, and then we and then we drive to Jimmy's house um, because <clears throat> his friend um, and and our childhood friend had committed suicide, shot himself in the truck. Um, and what I learned later was that um, he was called actually to hide cocaine um, that had been in the truck, um, and then ended up identifying the body. And so I think about this often um, in terms of like what choice did he have, really? You know, this is inner city Memphis. Um, and so there isn't really a safe place uh, for a kid to go, you know? Um, the church is locked. It's not even open, you know? Um, it's fall. And so then he's given this choice. Do I, do I pick up my son, you know, or do I keep him there for however long that, that I need before this changes. That's just what I'm just putting that on him. I'm sure he had to make that choice. And so he picks me up. Um, I still think that's the right choice. Um, the wrong choice was he told me to stay in the truck and I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that was the wrong choice. Um, so, I mean, I think that he did try to protect me from the moment. Um, but I watch him, I watch <clears throat> as he gathers viscera, um, uh, from, from where uh, his friend had committed suicide. And then a couple of days after that, he drives my brother and I um, to to the woods, where our family and and he and Jimmy like to go camping, and uh, and he has this private ceremony that he holds uh, for my brother and I. He carves Jimmy's name in a tree, and and buries and buries the remains, uh, and and has us come over. Um, and every time I think about, I can't think of a better story um, or a better pairing of, the, of him bringing us to see Mirrored Mezzanine and then him ha- making that decision to have this sort of ceremony with his sons that better describes who he was as a person or who, I think the way that, how he wanted us to see him, you know, as a father, as a person in the world, you know. There was so much 
tradition and ceremony twinned with, I keep saying that word twinned, I don't know why, but <laughs> there's so much uh, tradition and ceremony uh, twinned with, um, with, with m- movement or rites of passage in the world, you know, that was necessary. I understand that a lot of parents would want to keep their children from rites of passages or keep those rites of passages um, standard. You graduate from kindergarten and then you graduate from elementary, you know, um, in terms of like a path, but that's not how he was raised. Um, and that's not how his parents were raised. Um, and so it ends up falling, falling into a more an old world form of ethics and understanding one's place in, in the world. Thank you, Randall. Moving on, there is a cultural touchstone in this chapter, the Nintendo Entertainment System classic Super Mario Bros. 3, and later a chapter that features the death of Superman fairly heavily. Did you include these things because... They are cultural touchstones that signify time and era, or do you feel like these things are still ingrained in the person that you are? Yeah, I, I think that they absolutely are ingrained in the person who I am, you know, because um, there's also um, music um, that, that I rely on heavily, too, um, because, well, these are moments of identification, you know, so they become uh, they become touchstones. They become mile markers in a certain sense. Um, the death of Superman. How cool is that cover? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and it was such a huge marketing blitz too that you that you saw it everywhere. And I loved the Superman movies, but I didn't actually love the comics until I until I read that, and then I started reading backwards and and forwards with those comics. There was a place on Highland Avenue called River City tapes and comics and it was full of cassette tapes and and comic books that were used they were all used um also toys like um tonight um i think i'm going to read a section from the essay junk trade where i talk about rubber wrestlers that Mm -hmm. you would stick your thumb thumb through you know um all of those they don't have the same audience than they do now. Like, I doubt any of my students knows that Superman was ever killed, mm-hmm. you know, um, or knows about those wrestlers. They definitely don't know what a payphone is. I mean, they do, but they don't know what it was like to use one, you know, where um, where I have lots of fond and complicated memories of using payphones, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think that definitely those earlier moments, uh, as it is with everything, they create who we are. It's hard for me to imagine what's being created um, in terms of uh, touchstones for generations that came of age since 2010 and the iPhone. You know, mm-hmm. I, I bet it'll be more like apps and and games and things like that. But but going going back um, when when we didn't have when phones still were attached to cords, you know, it, I think that those cultural touchstones mattered. In a different way, you could touch them and move them around and break them, and especially with the Nintendo, you had to like hit it or mm-hmm. blow on the, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look forward to the memoirs of um, streaming on Spotify and playing Flappy Bird. Uh, listeners, we are going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with M. Randall O'Wayne. 
The Bookin Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with M. Randall O. Wayne, author of Meander Belt, published by our friends at University of Nebraska Press. Um, Randall, there's a very shady character in this novel, Wayne, that gives you cigarettes and then kind of shoves your head down towards his um, crotch as you're smoking them because you need to hide your smoking, as he says. You also speak of being propositioned by men as you walk through cities and in downtown alleyways. Um, Was this in Memphis or other cities where this is occurring, and do you feel like this was part of that region's uh, CD kind of cultural underbelly, or is this type of thing happening everywhere all the time? I think it's very urban. I mean, it happened to me in Memphis. It happened to me in Montreal, Canada. Excuse me for my Canadian friends, Montreal, mm-hmm. Canada. Um, Seattle, Portland, Oakland. I mean, I was constantly, not constantly, but regularly pro- propositioned by men. I think it had to do with walking, too. I didn't have any interest, really, in driving a car. Um, I rode bikes, but I've always been a, a walker, um, and I still am, especially in cities. Um, and so if you're younger, I was also a punk kid, um, so, and I was really tiny and dirty, because that's how, like, you know, when you're punk, you, like, that was cool, you just are dirty, you know what I mean? Um, and so I probably looked like a street kid, which in terms of, like, class and accessibility and rights, it's easier to, um, you know, think, it's easier for someone to think that you have less control or less right. Um, and, and so then I think that that was part of it. I'm not sure that a 15-year-old dressed in the updated Abercrombie and Finch fall catalog is going to get propositioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that had to do with the fact that I looked like a street kid um, and was walking around everywhere. And so then, you know, a, a, a man could be like, there's, there's someone in need that I could take advantage of. Um, <clears throat> the desperation was always something that I found really interesting. Um, I had, even then, I mean, I would yell and cuss, but I had empathy somewhat for, for these men because they did seem just so desperate and alone and scared. And, and, and even, even when being, you know, uh, gross, I guess. Wayne was different, though, because uh, Wayne was a classic case of grooming, you know. Those cigarettes were all about about grooming, you know. Um, And it's an interesting thing when you know that that's happening. I kind of knew, you know, um, that that was uh, what was happening. Um, But there are other factors, which they know, but you don't really know, which is 
you know, I wanted to have a job. I wanted to have money. And so then that's a factor, you know. Um, I also wanted to appear, which I don't know what was wrong with me, and like an adult, going back to what I was saying before about my fantasy life, you know. I wanted to be treated like an adult at 10 mm -hmm. for some reason. Um, <clears throat> and that was also something that he could take advantage of, you know. So I distinctly remember knowing and still going to work, you know, and still still going through with it until the last moment, you know, when he actually touches me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got, then I got away. Um, but it, he'd been frustrating me anyway um, for, for a lot of different reasons or creeping me out anyway. But if he was better at grooming, who knows how it, how it would have gone. Yeah. Um, thank you, Randall. As you mentioned earlier, you were arrested and suspended from school in junior high, um, and then you subsequently dropped out eventually. Uh, what happened, and how did this experience color the rest of your life? Um, I... This was, this was the end of seventh grade. There was a lot of things going on in that time period. I went to a school, they tore it down and rebuilt it and changed its name, actually. But, but I went to a school that was really overcrowded. Memphis, I mean, I think Tennessee is like not very high on uh, public school systems. Uh, we had metal detectors at the door. It, it was also like the school that housed the juvenile penitentiary, uh, full-time students who needed, who were like kind of then moving out into the world, you know? Um, and so there was, <clears throat> there were gangs, there was always this kind of culture of, of violence. You saw it every day. There was not enough staff to even do anything about it. So that was already, um, happening, but I got sick and I was out of school for a while and, um, had a hall pass <laughs> to, to, to go and, and study for, uh, exams during English. And in my wallet, um, a couple of years before I'd found a roofing blade and the roofing blade is like hooked it, it looks like such an awesome medieval um weapon you know it's hooked on both sides but it's the size of a razor blade um i think the funniest part of the story too is that my wallet had a rainbow and a unicorn on it <laughs> you know mm -hmm. it still did um and but i'd found it a couple of years before when we were camping and was like oh that's gonna be a cool weapon for my toys you know um, and I put in my wallet to later kind of like tape up on a stick or something like that to make it as a weapon and then forgot about it in the same way that I forgot to play with my toys, you know, because I was growing up. And uh, and the, at the time, this, the vice principal had taken over the school because the principal had been arrested for embezzling a lot of money from the school. Um, and he found me and my friend and um, searched us and he found the razor blade. And he had me arrested. He had me walked out of school in the seventh grade in handcuffs, which is pretty amazing when I, when I think about it now. Um, and so that was the end. I came back. Um, it, was a, it was a board suspension, so I think that's like five days. I think that's an entire school week. I came back. I finished school. Um, I think it was only like math, algebra or something that I had to go to summer school for. And two of my friends, my closest friends, one had uh, these two friends actually were always in competition of piercing themselves. Like they pierced all of like their eyebrows, their noses, and they would pierce like the parts of their hands and the backs of their legs. They were just in this weird competition. And one of them, who later became a model actually, and he's um, in uh, Zoolander, 
Is that the model one? Mm-hmm. Um, standing behind David Bowie in the first one, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he was cornered in a hallway, and they jumped him, and they ripped out meticulously every single facial piercing. Um, and then the other one um, was I, I witnessed like a, a fair fight. Um, nobody jumped in. It was just a one on one, but he he lost like pretty pretty extremely, and he never came back. And that summer, actually, he was shot in a bag bad drug deal um so this is this was the atmosphere that i was in i started smoking weed with my brother um going to punk shows i figured out where the punk club was it was called antenna and i would sneak out by putting my bike over the fence and then riding over there so like the summer between seventh and eighth grade i was already kind of moving away from something like public school um and then the next year, eighth grade, um, I was alone. Um, I didn't have any friends, but all of those people who hated me before were still there. Um, and so it was miserable. Um, and I lied about a gun being pulled on me. Um, it was threatened. The gun was threatened. I was beaten up and thrown in a urinal and a guy put two fingers to my head and said, pop, Mm. you know, and I was just like, I'm taking this, (laughs) you know, I'm taking advantage of this. Um, and, and they transferred me to a, like an affluent school, and I couldn't really deal with it. All of the life skills I'd learned from the previous school didn't transfer, where kids were allowed to like eat lunch outside. They could walk off campus and go get food. It was the weirdest uh, uh, transition, and so I just stopped going, um, and my older brother would pick me up. My mom would drop me off up, out front. Chris would come around and pick me up out back, and we would go to the park or hang out in a friend's basement and smoke weed. Um, and then eventually, um, it just didn't make sense to be in school mm-hmm. anymore. I did try to go back. Um, I'm, I'm actually sort of fine with all of those moments, but we signed up for a Bible school, a homeschooling Bible program, because that would keep truancy officers away. Um, and it was so easy because it was just didactic. It was multiple choice, and the answer was always Jesus. You know, it, it didn't take much thought to pass them. And I actually, I got really excited about it because I could bomb through them, and I did ninth and 10th grade in the ninth grade year and was like, I'm awesome. Um, and a friend of mine who was then in high school, who I was in the same junior high with, started taking pictures and told me there was a dark room in the, in the high school, and they had art classes and creative writing classes. And so my mom and I drove, this was over in high school there, and the principal the principal was like, the, the, no way. You'll have to start over in the eighth grade if you, know, if you want to bring him back kind of thing because the Bible school wasn't accredited, you know. And then that was it. Mm-hmm. Nobody had any in- energy for it anymore. And so then they declared me independent when I was 16, and, and then I was, you know, which is one of the reasons why I could cross the border into Canada at 16 and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Right. It's pretty interesting that the one school would give you a hall pass during English class to study <laughs> for other classes as if English class isn't important and pretty telling that um, this school that thinks it's okay to march a seventh grader out in handcuffs uh, deems English class not important and you end up teaching creative writing at a <laughs> university. Um, very interesting to me. Thank you, Randall. Um, finally, um, the bulk of this memoir deals with the death of your father and um, then eventually the death of your brother. Uh, and this is an experience that you write about in much physical detail. Um, is the act of writing a memoir about this type of experience a revisitation or a purging? 
Yeah, for me, it's definitely it was definitely a revisitation. Mm-hmm. The purging was a, an unfortunate side effect. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said before, I couldn't get, I couldn't stop physically uh, feeling the, the memories. But then I wrote them down, um, and then you have a draft, mm-hmm. and then I went through that draft and um, edited it ten times, mm-hmm. and so then. Um, by the time after the second draft or something like that, it's no longer my memory anymore. It belongs to the book. And so it was a strange thing. I'd mined these memories, and I cared for them very much. Uh, and and I'd, mined, I'd mined them and, and taken them away from me. So the purge I found to be like an unfortunate uh, side effect, you know, um, because I should feel every time that I visit this book, and then I stopped. I stopped feeling and stopped even really um, sensing those memories in relation to their original uh, true selves and sort of only sensed them in relation to the book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they don't really talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, no one, you know, like in all of the how-to books on mm-hmm. writing your life story, do they say, you know, watch out, you're, you're, you're kind of, it's a finite resource memory, mm-hmm. you know, and you're, and you're, you're going you're gonna to be digging it out, you know. Absolutely. That's for you to talk about, Randall, um, and your how-to book eventually. And (laughs) I'm sure uh, I can tell that you're a very good teacher. Um, Listeners, I have been speaking with M. Randall Owain, author of Meander Belt, Family, Loss, and Coming of Age in the Working Class South, published by our friends at the University of Nebraska Press. This book will be on my best of the year list. It is a powerful book full of wonderful prose, and it's a part of the American Live series edited by Tobias Wolf. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Randall, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Glad to be here. Once again, I would like to thank M. Randall O. Wayne for joining me. Signed copies of Meander Belt can be purchased in-store at Quail Ridge Books and online at www.quailridgebooks.com while supplies last. Our sponsor is Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please go to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN in the promo code space for three months of audiobooks for the price of one. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking. Listeners, we are going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with M. Randall O'Wayne. Ready to keep going? Yeah, you can keep going. Just keep sailing then. I'm back with M. Randall O. Wayne, author of Meander Belt, published by our friends at University of Nebraska Press.